0: Welcome to the Extra Podcast. I'm back. Daniel Markin.
1: Don't call it a comeback, Daniel. You've I'm been here for...
0: The last year. The last year. But on a, the last few weeks, you haven't been here. I haven't been here. I've been delightfully replaced uh, after a short hiatus by Freddie Roscoe, who did a, a somewhat of a job wow. on the podcast, right? He did an okay job, Jeff, I thought. Yeah. Um, I was a little offended by his, some of his remarks. Um Really? A little bit, yeah. He, he's not replacing me. In fact, I've been here for a year. I'm ahead of him in the immerse program. So I have that one on him. Yeah. Uh, and so, if anything, uh, the opportunities I was tossing to So him. is this,
1: but is this kind of like a, is this kind of like a Drew Bledsoe uh, goes down with a knee injury and Tom Brady takes over? Is well, Freddie, is Freddie the new Tom Brady? It's,
0: it, Jeff, it's not a converse It's not a, it's not a competition, but if it was, I'm still ahead. Okay. So that, uh, I just want, <laughs> You're still winning. Got <laughs> Something it. Something like that. No, but uh, where were you? I was in Uganda. Yeah. And and For how also long? Uh, we did a little stop in Kenya. That was about three weeks. Wow. So I uh, I joined the team. I think. Well, by the way, joined by my wonderful guest Jeff Bucknam. Yes. And it's just us. Just a conversation.
1: It is, but I'm very interested actually today because I want to know uh, all sorts of things about your trip to Uganda. Yeah, and wanna... oftentimes in our in our church life, we don't have the kind of um, uh, we don't have the places where we can actually have people share their experiences from mission trips and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and so today is a little bit of a Daniel Markin interview.
0: Yeah, it's a conver- it's a con- Daniel Markin. Uh, it's a convo Uganda extravaganza. How about that
1: Yeah so uh, so I will do the questioning today and Wonderful. you will do some of the answering. Oh I can't wait. Uh, so tell me Daniel, did, did you traveled with
0: a team from Northview is that right? That's correct. So the team was made predominantly uh, other than Ezra, a who is our team leader okay and uh, he is African himself. yes people know that. He sure He's do. from Kenya. Yes, he is from Kenya. Which borders uh, Uganda. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we spent a little bit of time in Kenya at the end, but for did the most part- Did you meet Ezra's family? Yeah, we did. Yeah? We met his parents. Was that good? It was awesome, yeah. We met Harris Okoti and Priscilla Okoti and his brother Kish. Kish. And so that was a lot of fun. We, Kish we, is his younger brother, I think. I think it's his oldest. Oldest brother. And then I, we also met his uh, younger brother, Julius. There it is. And their yeah. family, yeah. Keesh, and then Ezra knows everyone in Africa, apparently. <laughs> There's a, a guy comes walking, in. we're standing in the dining hall at Word of Life in Uganda. And Ezra says, you see that guy there? Yeah. He is the biggest comedian in all of Africa.
1: <laughs> like,
0: you name, name a celebrity. In Bradley. all of Africa? Yeah, I'm like, okay, Bradley Pitts. Yes, he's that big. No, he's not. He's that big. Everyone knows him. A billboards. See that guy there? Bob? He filmed Survivor in <laughs> Africa. I'm like, Ezra, how do you know all these people? And then as we're driving through Kenya... He's talking about how, uh, well, the driver. I've By known this driver
1: for 30 years. He uh, he made most of that
0: up, I think. One thing I learned, and there's a story connected to this, is when in Africa, uh, take statements with a grain of salt. With a, There's a grain of truth <laughs> with in the, there somewhere. With the <laughs> with like 40% truth. <laughs> there it is. So this is a great... So, um, I actually traveled. A so little you travel with,
1: but you travel with Ezra and a team from, a team of, from of young, young adults.
0: adults. Yes, but I myself. So How I many were the, there? There's 13 young adults plus Ezra, so 14 total. Okay. Uh, but myself and two other uh, girls arrived late to the trip because my sister was getting married, mm-hmm. and so we were at that wedding, had a great time, and then the next day after the wedding, we hopped on the plane and made our way to Africa. And the the instructions were. Yep. Um, after a 13 hour flight, and we had a little layover. In Dubai, which is apparently the happiest city on earth, is Dubai have, the happiest city? They have earth? a minister of happiness.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Were you happy when you were there? Yeah, I was. How long did you How long did you stay in Dubai? On it was the, like six hours. Oh, I mean, so you just, Air- just, just in the airport? Just in the hotel. Airport. Okay.
0: It was just the shuttle to the hotel. But man, it was a happy hotel. Yeah,
1: there's six hours, and you had you went to a hotel. Well, it was probably about eight hours. So why would you go to a hotel for that time over the night? I don't know. Oh, that really? Was kinda, you didn't want to stay in the airport. Didn't want to. No, it was part of the ticket. I think. Okay. I think it was Emirates. Uh-huh. That's. It's part of their. I've been told Emirates is one of the greatest airlines in the on the planet. Oh yeah,
0: yeah it's a good. Time. Everything that they do is so extra. Yeah, it's. That's great. You know, like when you get a drink on an airplane and they give you like a cup of water and they hand it to you, they yeah, don't I just do. hand it to you. They put it on a tray and then they aim the tray at you. And then when you finish, you say, "Can I have some more water?" You hand them the cu- no 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 no. They'll they'll stop. And you're like, what's wrong? Put it back on the tray. <laughs> <laughs> so you put the, the the water back in the tray, and then they fill it up for you. Everything was it was top service. Back to the story. Yeah, we arrive at the airport, and I'm traveling with uh, Crystal Taves' daughter Jessica. Okay, and also, Crystal Taves is the pastor to women, her, women here. Women's yep. pastor, yes, and then also uh, another girl, Alex. And so uh, the the instructions, Jessica saying, Ezra, Okodi said either himself. Or Wellington Oliach, who's one of our Northview missionaries, will be there at the airport. And maybe both of them are there because Ezra and Wellington are best friends. So just know that at least one of them is going to be there. So we make our way through all security and have to get our yellow fever check cards checked and grab all our luggage. We're already sweating. We walk outside. Guess who I see? Who? I don't see Ezra. <laughs> Wellington. Guess who I see? Wellington. No, not Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy standing there with a sign that says Word of Life. And that's it. It's just written in like pen, word of life on a piece of paper. So we reluctantly follow them to the car, load the bags in and I say, OK, can I, can I, call, can I call Ezra? Can I call someone? Do you have a cell phone? Yeah, I got a cell phone. And so I, I grab the cell phone. I find a number for word of life. And I, I said, do you, do you know who Ezra is? So this could have been anybody. This is this is the beginning of the movie Taken. Yeah, this is the Taken scenario. Meanwhile, the two girls are already in the vehicle. This is just okay. happy to go so there along. So there are two girls
1: from your team mm-hmm. who've already jumped into the car, trusting this gentleman and with the word of life sign. With the word of life sign, and, and so, that was that was I his saw, only that was his only piece of identification was, was the word of life sign.
0: That is it. And I'm looking at the van. There's nothing on there that says word of life. No, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I'm trying to call Ezra. Who's Ezra? Cudy? Were
1: there armed people inside the van? Was there a, was no, there, there a, was, no
0: but there was guys walking around with like weapons outside. Okay, so this and there's is a good. UN base right next door. So, okay, so uh, you know, and you're in a, I'm in a new country, never experienced this before. And what am I supposed to tell Crystal Taves? Hmm. Yeah, that's right. That uh, yeah. That. Your, your daughter just got in a, a car with a guy and and they were gone. So you gone. so I tried to call Ezra. He has no idea who that is. Do you know who Wellington is? Who? So I call Word of Life mm-hmm. and I and the guy picks up. Hi, is this Ezra? No, is this Wellington? No, is this is Thomas. Well, where is Ezra? He's not here. So, by faith, yeah. which is the lesson, I guess, of the story. <laughs> we eventually made our way to Word of Life, and that's good. so the this driver, was not this was not taken in the end. This, this was, was not, not taken. Liam we Neeson. were taken to Word of Life, so there was a happy ending to Liam this. Liam Neeson's never showed up. He never did. But I, I had a little bit of that fire in in my yeah in my soul. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I thought I. We, we navigated there. And so as, you
1: were there to visit Word of Life uh, Africa, which is a ministry
0: that does what? Word of Life uh, is a multifaceted ministry. So they're, uh, the location is kind of like a camp. And so imagine a, uh, sort of like a Camp Stillwood, except on Camp Stillwood, there's also... What if I've never been to Camp Stillwood? Well, what, what does that look like? Imagine a camp. So uh, I was going to describe it. Okay. You have a few buildings. One of the main buildings is, uh, is an elementary school. So there's, there's schooling there that kids can come to, okay. and I think through even into middle school and I think even high school, there's a full-on school. So there's teachers. Uh, there's another aspect of it that's a church. So Wellington's involved with Word of Life and, and the church that's on that campus. And then there's also a Bible Institute, and we call them the BI students, where there's a group of about 30 young men for a year, kind of like a gap year at a high school, who study the scriptures with their intent of going into ministry. Hmm. And then all along, they'll do street ministry uh, with Wellington and the church. They do. They run lots of soccer camps, baseball, or whatever kind of ball, right? They would come to the camp, and it's a way for them to invite the community and administer the gospel. So this is all happening at this Word of Life location, and part of our job was to go and, and help out Wellington and Dolly at the— uh, So Dolly's from here. Well, Dolly, yeah, she's yeah, Canadian. Dolly's she's actually Jonathan Giesbrecht's cousin.
1: Okay, Jonathan Giesbrecht, the worship pastor at Northview. Yeah. Her, his cousin, wow. Yeah. By the way, I don't. The the, uh, the the Mennonite web of relationships is so tangled that uh, I'm sure everybody's related to everyone. So let's avoid any more talk about whose cousin whose is. Deal. Deal. Are you anyone's cousin, Daniel? No, there's I think two Markins in yep. Lower BC, but you go up yep. to the Kootenays. I just have had le- several conversations with people before where that well that's the case. Hmm. So you're you're at this camp, and what are you doing there? Well, the first day, um,
0: our team was split in two, so we had fourteen. Yeah. Total and then people. there's
1: half the team went to uh, to work yeah. with Barb, banana, banana bread, bread, Barb. Barb yeah. Who, so yeah.
0: Barb's home of angels is an orphanage there, so half the team went there already. The other half was doing street ministry and mm. and uh, a bunch of different things. What is street ministry? Life. Well, street ministry is uh, going handing out hampers to people. Uh, and letting them know, hey, we're from Word of Life. What's a hamper? A hamper could have anything from blankets to little bits of clothing to food to books, reading material, Bibles, anything. That, I don't, I, don't, I wasn't there for that, so I don't okay. exactly know. So what they were in handing this stuff out on the streets. They, and they were just out to, the streets to start a conversation. To start a conversation. Can you describe
1: and the street a little bit? Is this like a rural area or is it like this a city or what are we? What are we talking about? Well, here? we're talking high-rise
0: buildings. This was technically, I believe, it was called the Entebbe Road. So if you follow this road, it'll go all the way from Kampala mm-hmm. all the way down to Entebbe. But to call this a road is, is a stretch. It's actually amazing. It's, it's basically just dirt that's been paved out that um, is so uneven that... It's these people paved, have though. To, no, it's not paved. Oh, it's just dirt It's, it's just dirt dirt. road? It's dirt road. But it's hilly, and it's you're doing four by four and okay. bumping up around, like climbing over things. And when it rains it just gets even worse and all the stuff washes away so there's erosion on the streets. Wow. So it's actually quite an obstacle to get to this place. But it's the main road. It's the main road. Okay. And some people will drive this all the way uh, to Entebbe. Wow. Uh, so not li- not. like it's very different being on these roads. It takes a long time to get anywhere in Africa. So hi- not high-rise
1: buildings on each side of the road, though. We're talking about mm-hmm. uh, a place with people selling things on the side of the road all the way yeah. down, which is oftentimes secondhand shirts and... Uh, s- snacks and, and knickknacks and yeah, that sort chi- of stuff. Chicken
0: on a stick. They'll they'll knock on the window with chicken on a stick. And Ezra, don't eat the chicken. Don't uh, eat the chicken because our oh well, I can't eat the chicken. Our Canadian stomachs won't handle it. Okay, I think that's the the idea. We will be, as Ezra says, you will be in a nasty. <laughs> so we uh, we did, we did that and uh, we didn't eat the chicken on a stick. But that's the streets. So we spent time, high rises on each side of the streets. Uh, no though? Rises, just like, like just shops. Or well, shops, but also just people's homes. Okay. And so, I mean, if you've ever seen homes in Africa, it was very small, mm-hmm. tin roof, sometimes just tin walls, and people sitting around inside. Mm-hmm. Some of them more. But a lot of people TV. around. You know there's more people in Uganda than Canada? No, I didn't know They have know a population
1: that. of 40 million people. Well, So, but there's a lot of people on the streets and things yeah. like that, walking yeah. up and down, so it's a very busy it's
0: thoroughfare. Very busy. Yeah. Okay. So there's people all over the place. And uh, so when you're ministering in the streets, you're more or less, you're doing evangelism. Yeah. Which for me was very stretching because yeah. if you, you, doing evangelism in North America, a lot of the times if you go up to someone with the intent of kind of preaching the gospel, we will kind of try and warm our way up to them, maybe engage them with something else and then try and slip in a little thing about being a Christian and then maybe slip in the gospel at the end. But a lot of times we were scared because people would just politely say, no thanks, like I don't want to hear it. And they continue on with their day. Mm-hmm. In Africa, they are uh, enormously warm to you. I mean, the African people are one of the most precious people I've ever encountered. Mm. They're just so welcoming and warm and they bring you in and they'll say, well, if you have something important to say, I want to hear it. Well, that's great. And so they will sit there and listen and, uh, listen to you explain the gospel. And so, uh, we engaged with the Bible Institute students and let them lead some of the stuff. Sometimes they'll help translate uh, but you basically, Why would they,
1: it's an English speaking country though.
0: There are, yes, there's English speaking, but a lot of people also speak the native language of Lugandan. Okay. Uh, and so they would also help to translate into that. So some people can understand English. So don't. St- street evangelism, a bit of this sort of stuff. What other things did you do at the,
1: uh, at with Word of Word Life?
0: Life? Yeah. Uh, other things that we did, we visited, um, a few other locations. We visited a compassion mm, project. A project yeah. yeah. Which, uh, what did you think ran, of the compassion project? I was Enormously impressed. Yeah. yeah, And it was great to see, because we often bring Compassion to speak at Northview mm-hmm. on a Global Missions Weekend, Yeah, correct? for those
1: of you who don't know, Compassion International is a ministry that we've partnered with for several years. They do, uh, as you've probably seen on TV, other places, they do child sponsorship programs, and that's like their bread and butter. They do some yeah. other things too, but mo- what's really cool about Compassion is all of their work happens through local churches. Mm-hmm. So they partner with a local church to basically run uh, uh, a midweek um Kids ministry yeah. through, and it has different aspects to it. There'll be some food that the kids get. There'll be some education regarding uh, how how to uh, to give them a skill. For example, a lot of the kids are very poor, and so they'll give them a skill like uh, like sewing or making. the boys making some sort of woodwork or something mm-hmm. like that that they can. Used to make a living at some point, they also get some further education and help with some of the schoolwork that they have, and then yeah. they do a, like a, a Christian aspect piece. Yeah, so uh, it's it's a kind of fully orbed like after school club type thing that they, that happens repeatedly through local churches.
0: Yeah. I was really impressed with it. Uh, so we spent time at that local church Ezra did a little talk. Uh, and then we broke off into small groups and we helped facilitate some of the discussion mm-hmm. that was being had. And then we played some games with the kids afterwards, but anywhere kids from age, you know, younger teenagers, maybe 14, 15, 16, yep. as young as, um, eight, nine, 10. And I, I believe like their education, they get educated up to grade 12. Mm-hmm. And also university, if yeah. they want, and yeah. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" That's great. And so it was, it was, whatever we're doing in supporting compassion, I was totally for it. Yeah. And I'm like, we should be doing more of this and yeah. seeing local churches. Uh, flourish through this yeah. as well because I think the local church gets helped out Oh great by Compassion They're helped and Compassion and it makes is it, helped and it makes it a hub yeah. in that community yeah, so absolutely. everyone comes to the local church yeah, it's great. in worship so that was amazing so we visited some of that we visited some rehabilitation homes of kids mm-hmm. who so it's slightly different than an orphanage it's actually just a, a temporary uh, sort of situation where kids come maybe for to stay for a maximum of two years, then to be reintegrated back into their families. Mm. So they come from a really abusive situation. Uh, they can come here and find some solace, and there's teachers, and they can continue education uh, while they're away from the danger of their family. Yeah. So he visits uh, a lot of things like
1: that. So what were your impressions? You visited all these things and, and saw so much of it. Give me a couple of your impressions of the needs there or that kind of thing. Mm. Is it uh, a lot of poverty alleviation, I'm assuming?
0: Yeah, I, that was... And you've been to Africa, correct? I have, yeah. Yeah, the, I'd love to know what you, how you deal with this, but the poverty side of things was, was this your first time seeing, uh, this kind that kind of po- poverty? Yes and no. I, I was, I think I was more or le- I was, you see it in the commercials all the time. Yeah. And so you have an idea of what it might look like. Uh, it was also the poverty that I saw in Africa was not that different from the poverty I saw on the West side of Chicago when yeah. I was doing my degree where it is completely desolate. And you have people who just haven't eaten and are just so poor. Yeah. And what's so sad about that in Chicago is there's kids who live on the west side, um, who can from their home see the downtown buildings. They can see their Trump Tower. They can see the the Willis Tower, but they can't. They've never been downtown mm. because it's just too poor.
1: Yeah.
0: And so after experiencing that in Chicago, coming to Africa, I found I was. Uh, you just you realize that this is a way of life, and they they're so mm-hmm. happy and and. And yeah. Genuine. And one of the things that really struck me before we went is I was reading uh, a book, and the author was describing uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, who was a Russian novelist in the 18th, or 20th century, correct?
1: Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah.
0: So Dostoevsky, I think, was thrown in prison for about four years. And the only book he had was the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And so he read the Gospels over and over and over again. And one of the remarks that he made is he's talking about the temptation of Jesus and the first temptation of, of Jesus that Satan brings upon him when Jesus in Matthew 4 goes out in the wilderness and Satan's tempting him. Um, I pulled it up here. Satan says, uh, if you're the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. So you, you've been fasting all this time, Jesus. Why don't you just feed yourself? And then Dostoevsky begins to tease it out a little bit more. And he says, you know, feed yourself, Jesus. And actually, while you're at it, why don't you, why don't you f- create enough food to feed everyone? Or better yet, create enough money so that people could, could have enough f- money to pay for food and that everyone could always have enough, and then they're going to worship you for it, Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus says, uh, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Dostoevsky teases that out. And the, the answer from Jesus is, to what end? So I give everyone enough bread, enough food. One, they're not going to need me, need me anymore. They're not going to have use or want of me. And number two, if everyone has enough, well, that's not going to be enough for other people. And so there's always going to be someone who's going to be an oppressor who's going to take more. And then that's going to great, there's going to be a greater increase of wealth and an increase of poverty because someone's going to oppress another person. And so he's teasing out this thought. And so as I was arrived in, in Africa and I'm looking at the amount of poverty here, I quickly realized that this is one extreme. And then I compared that to the extreme that we have on the other side, North America, where we have enough food. Mm-hmm. We have everything we could ever need. We have actual toilets we can sit on. Yeah. Right? And do plumbing. We have real plumbing. And you want to go eat something, you just go to wherever you want. You want pizza. Yeah, McDonald's you want is open Indian. 24
1: hours a day, and everybody
0: has enough mm-hmm. money to buy a hamburger. Yeah. yeah. And so everyone is, like, happy quotations. Yeah. Uh, but except we're in North America, we're all anxious. We're all depressed yeah, uh, and people kill themselves like Kate Spade today. right? That just popped up on my news. She's a a fashion designer. She just was found who committed suicide in New York city. Right. The, where there's enormous wealth. She's one of the richest power influence. And so I began to say, wow, this is another extreme. And so who has it worse off? Yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's
1: a plight with wealth as well, yeah. right? And there's a responsibility that it comes with it. Yeah. And and don't they, get me wrong.
0: I love living here and be able to use yeah, the I toilet. And I love, like, I know. I don't them. want to trade that in. But for me, I I began to fear for what I saw back home. And also there was some side of what was um, with them sharing wh- what little they had in Africa. That was very endearing and, and amazing to me. So in the back of my mind, that was always rattling around and, and it for me helped to think through the poverty situation how have you dealt with it when you've seen it you know i've
1: had to, first of all i would say that uh one of the crazy parts about poverty it's interesting that you make the comparison between uh just when you say west chicago you're not talking the western suburbs you're talking no, west, the the immediately west of the city center yeah uh and how how poverty there looks very similar to poverty in Uganda, and I I would add and which looks similar to poverty in Bangkok, which looks similar to poverty in Guatemala City, which looks similar to poverty in Mexico City, which looks similar to poverty in Fiji. Like I've been to all of those locations, and I would say that the, that poverty is is it's it's remarkable how similar uh, all of these situations are. <laughs> You know uh there are people in Bangkok who live uh on a they live in what what is un, unkindly called the plump because yeah. it's a swamp with uh with human feces all over all all in all in it i mean that's it's used basically as the toilet and there are people who live on little on uh, on on little homes uh, with stilts, right? Stilted homes that uh, oftentimes sink because the the what's underneath them is is a former garbage dump, and so there's no firm foundation. They just keep going in, and I and I've been in rooms before where where there are holes in the floor, and there's a maybe a bed in the corner, if not if not uh, just some boards in the corner, and they, the people live there, and it's it's grinding poverty. I mean, just unbelievably grinding poverty and people live in these communities like that. I've been to among people who are uh, seniors who, you know, in Bangkok who have have gotten nothing. I've been to an entire hillside in uh, Guatemala city, seeing just that kind of poverty or people live on the city dump there and um, worked with ministries that do that sort of stuff. My point is that every place you go, it's basically the same. It's the same thing you just described. It's a, mm-hmm usually a little shanty hut with uh, corrugated iron or a little uh, aluminum siding of some variety. And uh, they cook on open fires. If they do cook, they have very little tea. And and the food's not nutritious. No, no, no. So whatever they do eat is not nutritious. It's whatever they can can get, ultimately. And uh, the problems with prostitution and with... Uh, and and with abuse and oppression are rife. I mean, it really is a case where the only way out for some of them is to sell themselves. So they do to whatever that to whatever ends. Yeah. So it it really is an example of uh, yeah what happens to human beings when there's no guards around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: Left to our own devices. Yeah, left to mean. our own
1: devices. So I I uh, I think it's interesting that that poverty is the same. So if you go to one of those locations, you've pretty much seen most. Most of them. I. What shocks me is how pervasive it is. I think the statistics are these days that there's something like two billion people, or so, around the planet who live in that kind of poverty. Yeah. That's un, unconscionable. Uh, I do think that uh, it's interesting in the scriptures how uh, there is a there is a push, and I'm thinking sp- specifically in a place like Second Corinthians, eight and nine, where. Where you have the Apostle Paul um, talking about this this money that he's he's gathering for the for the uh, there's a famine in Jerusalem. And so this is the Jerusalem Church, which is made up largely of a Jewish population. and they're suffering, and they don't have anything to eat. And so Paul goes around to all of these Gentile churches and wants to collect get a collection from them. He wants them to give them give him money so that he can go bring it as a gift. He calls it a fragrant offering at one point or another to the church in in Jerusalem. Now he's got a theological reason for doing this. His theological reason is how cool would, is it going to be for these Gentile churches to be sharing their wealth with these Jews? Well, yeah. mean, how's that going to bridge the gap? How cool would that be if it bridges the gap no between Jew and Gentile, right? Which is what he believes the gospel does um, and what it should do in the world. In that in that discussion, though, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, one of the things that he's really after is he, he talks about how there should be a solidarity between, um, between those churches that have and those who have not at this point. Meaning, meaning that they're, they're, for Christians, it is actually our responsibility to love our brothers and sisters who have not and to not turn away from churches and from other Christians in the world who are in this kind of poverty. Now, that's not to say that there should be exact equality across the board in terms of how much one person has or one person doesn't have, but needs should be met. And it, it does occur to me, and I said this in sermons here before, that it really is the case that the church in the West, the Lord, by his providence, has invested in the church and is in the West, a lot of money to use the parable of the talents language. We we are five talent. Nation. We are five talent people. Yeah, like God has given it to us. What's what? What amazes me in some cases and is how often we don't uh, see the responsibility that we have with that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly to make more to be but to, be, to make more, but with the goal of sharing it, with the goal of, of caring for those who are less fortunate, for the goal of of uh, helping others um, who, who are brothers and sisters in Christ around the area around the world and things like that. I, now that's not to say the, the, the danger in everything I just said yeah. is that in the Christian church, if people start thinking about that and believing that, they end up saying things like, well we should have nothing nice. Do you know? Because there are poor people in the world. Uh, I don't. I don't see that in the Bible either. I, I don't. I think that it's you know Scripture teaches that God gives us all things that we might enjoy life. That's a, a passage out of the pastoral epistles. And so uh, I do think it's there's nothing wrong with you owning a really a good car. Asceticism, which is the belief in a in uh, having nothing, kind of living like a monk. I don't think asceticism is the is the true Christian path.
0: Yeah, because you you feel I feel like when I think about asceticism. Uh, pride begins it's to choosing, It's choosing to be poor for the sake of solidarity yeah. or for the sake of
1: like eschewing or turning away from all the physical pleasures of the world because sure. the physical pleasures are dangerous or bad or stuff. That's not Christian either. Right. The Christian world is a physical world. We have a physical future. God made things good for you to enjoy a good cup of coffee. Is yeah. everything right about that? For you to yeah. enjoy a well-made car or a leather couch? Is everything right about that? However, there there is this balance that must be struck in the life of a believer, recognizing that, yes, the Lord has blessed me with all of these things, but the blessing has come upon me that I might, what, double the master's money, that I might actually seek ways to, uh, to to further the kingdom of God and see his seeing his kingdom come even in places where there is none. So I mean, I'm thinking about Matthew 25, a passage you know, the sheep and the goats. That's focused particularly on on Christians, and I'm putting that in air quotes, or people who've said that they believe but have turned their backs on those in need. Mm-hmm. And what the passage says, what what you've done for the least of these, my brothers, meaning other Christians, right? You yeah. have done you have done for me, and so I, it's a very complicated issue, and yet. Uh, there, there are danger, danger on both sides in a Christian view of money and wealth, and danger in, in the way that we handle uh, issues related to poverty. Yeah. That and there's a great book out, by the way, uh, that I highly re- recommend. Um, uh, when helping hurts, which is dealing with some challenges about okay, so we look at poverty in places like uh, Africa and we yeah. say, okay, we're going to solve that problem. We're going to go and we're going to, we have solidarity and stuff. And it it raises some questions. Okay. That impulse is awesome, but let's, let's think discerningly about what kinds of things we do to help that actually might hurt people, right. That make them dependent upon uh, money that they themselves are not capable of, you know, reproducing or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, How can we invest to help whole communities better and, and uh, be more flourishing, that kind
0: of thing. Yeah. So, so I, that's interesting you bring that up because I have a, I, I don't know if you, you have more to add, but that we the, could talk the, about poverty and wealth for a long time. You could. So that builds into what I began to see and think through there. I just wanted to add quickly about with the asceticism. Um, see, I would rather, I, I came away from this trip feeling so much more like I need, need to be more generous with my money because you begin to see, uh, even when you're in Uganda, how far Canadian dollars go. It's remarkable. And so you begin to think, well, instead of, you know, living asceticism, uh, and, and selling everything, because I find the danger of that is you can fall into a self-righteousness Sure. because I'm, I look how holy I am and living yeah. with nothing. Yep. Uh, rather you could be, I have actually been gifted a lot. And so I'm going to be giving a lot. And so we, we began to see, uh, wh- when you're there, you just Because your money goes so far, you're like, I'm blessing this person for like $6. Mm. It's nothing to me. And this person is getting uh, some pretty great stuff. They're getting huge meals. And and I'm able to buy them new clothing and shoes for next to nothing in my meeting little basic needs. Um, But what that all builds to about what's going to help people flourish the most. Um, So as I began to think, okay, the two polar opposites. you got massive poverty, massive wealth. Well, what's, what's the middle, what's the middle ground or who's the middle ground. Mm. Right. And, and I think ultimately that just solidified for me that Jesus Christ is the way he, yeah. he is that he is that way. And, and then he'll go on later on and say, I am the bread of life. I'm the, I'm he, living water. Right. So I'll add a couple of passages
1: to that to, yeah. to affirm what you said. So what you get in with the apostle Paul, when he asked for money from the Philippian. Well, sorry, he didn't ask for money for the Philippian church, but he gets this financial gift. The whole book of Philippians is basically a thank you letter from a missionary who received financial help. Mm-hmm. And, but in the end of it, he says, "Look, I don't, I'm not writing to you to thank you because I needed the gift. I didn't need. I've learned to live with plenty, and I've learned to live with want. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me," which is the point you're making. Yeah. So I already have the bread of life, and so I have no money. If I have no money to buy an, enough bread, I can live in. Dependence upon God, trusting that Jesus is going to take care of me. Likewise, if things are going really great and I have lots and lots, I, my heart is not tied to the to the success or to the to the to the prosperity so much as it's tied to the Jesus who is providing it at this particular moment, mm-hmm. right? So you you get these wonderful phrases. I will say that there's a there's a statement that's attributed to John Wesley. I don't know if it's really his statement, but it's great. Okay. Like, what's the Christian view on money? Uh, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can, mm-hmm. and I think it's a, it's actually a love, lovely statement. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with saving money, and there's everything right with giving money. Yeah. <laughs> like those are all, all, all true in, in Scripture. But you know, like what you just said, you know, you have the proverb that says, "Give me neither poverty nor wealth, but only my daily bread," mm-hmm. and that's the point is. Uh, that the, that meet that middle way. There's somewhere in the middle there yeah. that Christians ought to, we, we ought to be running away from the wealth because it draws our heart away from God, and we got to be running away from the poverty because of course it's grinding poverty. It's horrible. Yeah. So there should be a, a you know a, a way in the middle that yeah. we should all be pursuing and to have generosity mark our lives um, because we have a generous God who gave His Son to us. Right, he who yeah. rich was he who was rich became poor that we might become rich.
0: So yeah, when I saw that, and if Jesus is truly the middle way, then how do we uh, partner and, and and you know engage in that middle way? And I think it's through the local church is a good place to start. And so that's why it was amazing spending time with Wellington, uh, who's our missionary there, mm-hmm. and uh, watching him. Because we did ministry one day in a slum. We were doing evangelism in the slum. And as we, our team arrived at this little church that seriously was probably the size of the studio, maybe a little bit longer, um, for those of you who go to West Court, it might have been that long, but probably half the width. Hmm. And it's a tin can. Hmm. And so, to try and make it look nicer, they put streamers yeah. and like little blankets on the side, you know, to give it some color. And um, Wellington's in there and he's training up these local pastors because a lot of pastors in Africa, some of them just wake up that morning and they're like, I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to start a church. Hmm. Either for prosperity purposes. What do you mean by that? For their own gain. I'm going to preach, preach, and make lots of money by telling people to give and God's going to bless happen- them. Is that something that happens a lot there? It happens a lot in Africa. Or you have the other side where people When you say up, it happens a lot, did you see a number of churches that were like we that? We didn't go to any prosperity churches, but you talk to Ezra and he'll say there's there's a lot. And yep. Even Wellington. It's, it's either prosperity or it's a lot of pastors who want to be faithful. They just don't have the tools. Mm. And they don't have the training. And so they're really trying, but they're misinterpreting the Bible, not willingly. And so well, Wellington goes and he's helping train them up. And here's how you maybe structure your church. And here's how you need to have your biblical foundations and convictions at the start. So then everything can build off of there. There's your foundation, the mm-hmm. word of God. So it was great seeing him do that. And you see how a community begins to build around a local church. Yeah. And so the community can help, the church can help with temporal needs. Giving yeah, them and bread the, and, and water, but also giving them the bread of life. This is part of my my big push right now. Is I actually
1: think that you know pe- people will say and have said, yeah, but we need to solve problems like poverty in the world. And my response is, yes, absolutely. But the means by which I think we do that is actually through through local churches. I know that sounds might sound crazy, but local churches, uh, Christian people who are being trained in the gospel. God's Spirit starts to work in their lives and the fruit of the Spirit starts to show in their lives in their local community. And so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control starts showing up in real tangible ways Yeah. so that they start caring for the poor in their community. They start being then the ones... And guess what? Other people want to be a part of that. Right, and then ultimately we plant other churches. So the more churches yeah. we can plant and the more churches we can plant that are healthy and that are looking, trying to look after the local needs and training people up... You know, in, in the gospel, the the more I think you're going to address a lot of these uh, issues that are um, further down the line, maybe as
0: yeah. as as you would say. And that was what was cool because um, I know that North you were thinking about doing more church planting and even doing uh, what was the number you said abroad. I don't like, know hundreds hundreds of churches. But you understand you understand why
1: though church planting. Yes, so my point though is that yeah. I'm not church planting is a means and the means the, the end is to make disciples yes but the church planting is a means to that end and it's a necessary means to that end and those disciples though are the people who are going to go out and they're going to care for the poor and the yeah. and the indigent and they're the ones who are actually going to show the marks of the spirit right yeah. so the, so the church plant is the the goal, is like the central piece where you gather disciples who are being made mm-hmm. and encouraging them in the gospel so that they end up producing the fruit in yeah. their community and, and so, growing in grace again. That's why so central to plant yeah. churches.
0: And it was amazing. So when I was there, that was just like I could beat that drum all day. I I could say because you see the power of the local church in areas and you're and how powerful it is there. I think it still is powerful here, even in North America. And so the idea and what's exciting about if. We're doing planting in, uh, whether it's Uganda or Malaysia or wherever we end up, especially with our opportunities in the West, our money goes so like so much further. I mean, they had those Bible Institute guys who they're getting an entire year of Bible training, faithful teaching from, uh, like learning some good theology to go combat and contend with that prosperity doctrine. Mm -hmm. And it costs them against that prosperity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, What did I say? Against you know,
1: with, with it, which I was like, oh, I mean, I understand what you mean. I yeah. just want to make it clear.
0: Yeah, yeah. versus, but they uh, that their entire year, room and board and tuition is a thousand dollars. That's a pretty good gig. It's a pretty good gig, <laughs> yeah. and so you can imagine that. Man, for a thousand dollars, you could be training up a minister and supporting yeah. him to go and right. And this is kind of our goal in the next number of as a church.
1: One of the things we'll be doing in the next little while is really focusing our attention on uh, several regions around the world that where we can do a lot of a lot of pastoral training, right? Because that's one of the chief ways you renew churches, right? You and plant churches is you need a church planter. Mm-hmm. So we want to train them, want to equip them, want to send them out, we want to partner with them as they plant their churches. We want to see those kinds of things come to fruition but not not just send them out and leave them alone we want to create networks of churches that yeah. where they can receive uh the kind of help that they that the networks in our world yeah. give and uh honestly i i'm so excited about, i mean seriously if you think 10 15 20 years down the lord if, down down the the way if the lord grants us his grace yeah and you could see a real cool gospel movement take place in yeah. places like uganda and uh you know
0: southeast asia and the Middle East and India Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then begin to think of all the other churches around the world doing the same thing and planting churches. And it was cool because I was looking in the eyes of these young ministers who were going to go out and contend for the faith in Africa. And I was thinking, man, how cool it would be to be able to send three or four of them who are friends now to go start a new church plant. Mm. They know each other. They love each other. And they would always have each other in that network. Mm. And I was thinking, man, that's a real powerful some powerful stuff going on there. So it's a good trip. It was a great trip. It was a valuable uh, thing for you to do. It was. And let, let me tell you one of the, the sweetest highlights was we, uh, um, we were spending time at the orphanage at uh, Jaja Barb's Home of Angels. Jaja is, I think, grandma. Yeah, okay. Uh, so that's what they call Barb. And so all the kids are running around, Jaja, Jaja. And Barb came to me and she said, Daniel, the, the kids want to get baptized. The, the, the older kids, they want to they want to get baptized. And so, um, we went to the little kiddie pool and, uh, filled up some water and I sat down with the older kids and conducted baptism interviews and uh-huh. walked them through, through the gospel and, and talked them through things. And, uh, we had the opportunity that evening, uh, with all the little kids watching and stuff so they could see, uh, we baptized, um, some of the older girls and some of the older guys That's great. Um, who were m- mature in their faith and, and were articulating the gospel. And so, uh, That was really, really special and really neat to be a part of. And every person on our team got to baptize someone, which is cool. Fantastic. Um, So that was a real, really sweet thing. And then, of course, at the end, uh, once the baptisms were finished, we said, okay, kids, jump in. And then all the kids would just jump in this pool and wiggle around and the biggest smiles on their faces. That's great. So that was a real highlight. It was a real... uh, sweet thing that we got to do there and a lasting impact. So to finish all this story off,
1: apparently you got back on the plane headed home. Ezra gave you some instructions on how it is that you're supposed to
0: stay awake on the flight. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a way to beat jet lag, Jeff. And it's Cordy, this. Ezra is, said is it that... The Ezra, this is the uh, Ezra Cote method. This is the, this method. Is the uh, Cody the, <laughs> the Oh, by the way, Ezra has a nickname there. What's that? Um, Wellington uh, Welling, his na- nickname's Wellington? No, Wellington oh. told us this one. Ezra's nickname uh, around Uganda and those parts is Ezra Baby. <laughs> Ezra. And we were going around to Wellington. Like, how did he get the name Ezra Baby? No, 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 no. It's Ezra Baby. <laughs> and he said, growing up, whenever you wanted Ezra to score a goal, you'd say, come on, Ezra Baby. And then Ezra would kick <laughs> That's it up pretty good. Ezra, Ezra is method of, of, of traveling is, okay, so we have a 1045 flight, five hour flight to Dubai. Do not sleep on that flight. Then stay up all the way in Dubai airport. Then stay awake three hours into the next flight and then, uh, take some sleeping pills or grab all or whatever and fall asleep. And, uh, so I'm, I'm going to try it. So, I, uh, I'm on the first flight. It's 10 We take off two hours in. I'm walking up and down the aisle, stretching my legs. I, I just made it through a movie. This is the five hour flight the five hour you flight. have to stay awake for. You have to stay awake for I walk down the aisle. Ezra's already passed out. Yeah. Gone. Do as I say, not as, not I, as, as do. I do. Yeah. Again. So, uh, he came in the office today complaining, Oh, my jet lag. I am so sleepy. And he, um, Ezra, you didn't even listen to your own advice. <laughs> But I did, you know. Did you listen first to his advice? I listened to the advice. I stayed up all the way through And did it work? All the way through Dubai. It did work. Uh, that was my first all-nighter, by the way. Um, add that to the list of overrated things is pulling an all-nighter. Because <laughs> honestly, all-nighters, by the time you hit 4 a.m., it's just not fun anymore. No, it's not. I don't know nobody, why people Nobody hit. likes all-nighters. No one does. Daniel, I'm
1: glad that you had a great experience. I'm thankful that uh, the ministry was so helpful not just to you personally but to the things that you guys did and we continue to pray God's blessing both on the ministry of Word of Life, Jaja Barb's Home of Angels and on mm-hmm. uh, the young adults who went.
0: Yeah, and if if you uh, if we come to mind uh, we ask that you'd be praying for us mm. uh, to our listeners that uh, as we debrief and think through things and and figure out how this this trip would change us to, um, you know, get more involved here back home or yep. more involved again overseas, wherever the Lord
1: would have us. So, good. Well, it's been good talking to you. Thanks for listening to everyone. See how how awesome hosting I just did there, huh, Jeff? I was still Dad, the host. I took over the hosting
0: mm, for you. I think I think host wise, maybe I'm me. the host with the most. The, well, where does that put Freddie? Well, he's got a lot less than most. <laughs>